This is the Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On the Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. So talk me through what exactly are the basic components that are important for typography. You mentioned the metrics. Well, yeah, I mean, metrics is just one. It's how all of the characters fit together in a line. There's also this thing called letting that we talked about, which is line spacing. Mm -hmm. There's also kerning, which is adjusting spacing between individual characters. Yep. So if you set in a badly, you can tell the metrics of the font by typing out AT yeah. in all caps. Okay. And what you normally want to do is have the T crowd in next to the A. Yeah. Sort of overhang the space that, the, you know, it's getting into the A's personal space. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's really where kerning comes in. Mm -hmm. uh, and there's all sorts of terms for all of these different things. Right. And how that might might have been done, harking back to the old way of doing it. Yeah. The, the biggest thing is, is, you know, picking a font that looks good. Mm -hmm. That's a perceptive, you know, it's a, it's a personal preference. Yeah. But we have a lot of good examples of yeah. things out there. So, you know, th there's a book that came out when the Mac came out by Robin Williams, not, not the comedian, a, a writer, and it's called The Mac is Not a Typewriter. And this is still one of the best books, and you should read it. If you have any interest in creating typographic work mm -hmm. that looks good, and, you know, it talks about the difference between straight quotes and curled quotes. So if you quote something and on a typewriter, there was one quote key. And it was a double quote. So you type, uh, today it is Monday, and you want to quote Monday. You would put these hash marks that would be two little, you know, ticks up on the left right. and the right of Monday. Right. Well, in typography, the left-hand one would be curved sort of like a, like a uh, opening parenthesis. Mm -hmm. And on the right-hand side, like a closing parenthesis. Right. And it looks a lot nicer. Yeah. And those are called smart quotes or yep. typographic quotes. And the majority of people out there may not even perceive that, mm -hmm. but it makes a subtle difference. And the same thing with single quotes and single closing quotes and how we deal with that. And so this little book, you know, sort of summarized my five-year learning experience of reading all of these books right. on typography mm -hmm. and how to deal with it and what to do. and. A lot of these things, like Microsoft Word, will automatically use these curled quotes mm -hmm. and will apply a lot of these rules, these typographic rules for you. So, for example, one of the things that was always interesting is that people of my age and maybe a little bit younger, when they were taught typing, you would type a sentence, period, and hit the space bar twice. I, I, was, I was taught that, yeah. and I did it up until maybe in the last two to three years when my wife railed on me for not paying. Yeah. And yeah. Mocked me to no end. And I, was, I must've been, I, and, it, and I learned typing on a computer, which Interesting. I don't know why I would have learned the double space still. Well, I think it's because again, remember when we talked about the HP laser printer, which sort of emulated typewriter typewriters, except for the very late models were all monospaced. Mm -hmm. A W and an M and an I all took up the same width. So, in that pattern, 
doubled spaces after the period looked fine. Mm -hmm. But when you now start to say individual characters have individual metrics, the I will be very narrow. Right. And the M will sit next to it, and then the E and the T and the A, etc. Putting that extra space after the period will cause gaps to appear in your manuscript. Mm -hmm. That's why you don't do it. Right. So one of the other things that, you know, a good typographer, you know, will look at, and this is really what happened. I worked with one for several years. They would edit the page, and they'd run it through typeset in what are called galleys. Mm -hmm. So it's a, it's a typeset strip of paper. Mm -hmm. So let's say your column width was two inches, yeah. and you had a book that was going to be six by nine, mm -hmm. but you had two two-inch columns. Right. They would take that two-inch column, cut off the first five inches, or nine inches, let's say, or eight inches, paste it on the pasteboard, mm -hmm. and then take the next eight inches and paste it next to it. And they would review all of that. Somebody would look at it and say, okay, this is good, this is good, this is fine. But they would also notice that there were what are called rivers of white. Mm -hmm. And that's where spaces happen to line up as you move down the page. Visually. Oh, right, yeah. And you would see these rivers of white. Similar to where you might end the line with the, the word Monday three times in a row or yeah. twice in a row. You don't want that to happen. Right. So the way they'd fix that is they'd actually go back and edit the book. Oh, wow. They would actually do that. They might cheat sometimes and put in an extra space here and there, kerning to do something. Yeah. To make, you know, like like if you had a line and it had just one word at the bottom, mm -hmm. that's called an orphan. You might want to make that so that if we take out one word up above, it right. would cause that to sort of fall back. Right. Place. And so all of these things... You know, again, Word and all of the typesetting software out there helps you do all that. Yeah. Help you avoid that. They're not as good at helping you avoid rivers, but yeah. um, it can happen. And is that the sort of stuff that Robin Williams, the typography writer, is helping us think through? Yeah, it does. It sort of calls out all of these things. The difference between a hyphen and an N dash and an M dash. So, mm -hmm. for example, a hyphen is the dash that you use between phone numbers. Right. Then there's also an N dash, which... It's named after the letter N, is the width of the letter N in that font. Right. And an M dash is the width of the letter M. Right. Then you have open and closed ones. Open N dashes means it has a space before and a space after. Whereas a closed one means it doesn't have a space before Interesting. and a space after. And you get a different feeling based on that setting. Yeah. No, totally. So it's either open or tighter or not. Yeah. And, but Whatever you choose, you want to make sure you're consistent. Well, and I've noticed that with Microsoft Word, it automatically makes some of those adjustments when you're typing through, and it sure it, it yeah. detects, oh, this should be a, an M dash, and it automatically lengthens it. Right, and you can turn those off and turn those on if you want. But then there's also ligatures. Yeah. Ligatures are when two characters are set next to each other, they should actually change form. Mm -hmm. So a typical ligature is an F and an I. The I, the lowercase F and I. So when you when you set a ligature, the I sneaks back under the F. You take the dot mm -hmm. off and the curl that comes over is right. the dot for the I. And those are well typeset books yeah. 50 years ago used ligatures. Sure. Um, Word and most of the programs out there can, if you know how to set it up, use ligatures when it finds them. Right. There are also some 
ligatures that will actually change style. Yeah, yeah. The the typesetting software I use for my important writing that I do will automatically do that stuff. Right. Lix and LaTeX. It right. it's written for engineers, but it does that stuff. Yeah, you're crazy to use that. But yeah, yeah I mean, I <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> I've heard it pronounced LaTeX. Yeah. Correct. You have to be specific when you Google search problems. So, when when talking about typography, so we've we've talked about how we've gotten to where we have access to all this typography stuff at our computer, and we've talked about what exactly is going on in terms of the dynamics between letters and going on in typesetting on a page. Beyond that, the technical details, what is communicated by typography? Is there certain tones and meaning that is brought out for the copy, the the written content by different typesetting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you said something comic sans, you're not going to be taken seriously. Well, it's definitely by me. Uh, by the way, and just to, to note on Comic Sans, I do think it's interesting that every, while we do beat up on Comic Sans, it was actually written for dyslexia. Yes, yes. Uh, and, and if you look at it and you understand dyslexia, you can understand why. Yeah. But I guess, yeah, I mean, it evokes a feeling. You know, it evokes a, a level of expertise or not. You know, if you wrote something in Tecton, mm-hmm. which basically it looks like an architectural font, it's very informal. Mm-hmm. I mean, on a drawing, it looks fine. But if you were to write a book in Tecton, it looks informal. Mm-hmm. As opposed to if you write it in um, Galliard, mm-hmm. which is very pointy, mm-hmm. serif-based. But the, the serifs, and just so you know, what a serif is, is if you look at Arial or Helvetica, and you look at the capital H, the top of the H is square. If you look at Times Roman and you look at the capital H, it has these little serifs, little things sticking out, like almost like burrs. And those typically we use sans serif type for headlines and things like that, maybe road signs. And we use serif type for the body copy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Galliard has serifs that come to a very fine point. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garamond is very thin itself. Yeah. It's very light and wispy. Times Roman is sort of a middle ground. Mm-hmm. Caslon. I'm in a happy place with Caslon right now. I like it. I don't have to use it in a lot. Mm-hmm. And it has nice rounded figures. It's, it's a fairly wide set face. There's also this concept of X height. The X height is the height of the letter, the lowercase letter X. Mm-hmm. And each font has an X height. Okay. And you could have the X height be almost as tall as the capital height, or you can have it you know, down three-eighths of the capital Right. And so it gives you a different feeling, you know, line by line, how mm-hmm. you read that stuff. It all it all adds up. I mean, you know, if, if you go and decorate a home, and, yeah. and you don't paint, and you've got sheetrock or um, plaster just open there, it's going to give you a different feeling than if you have barn board. Yeah. Or if you've painted it, and you've put in carpeting and things like that. All of those things add up to an experience. Yeah. And... Yeah, I fear a little bit. I mean, we put it, put these power tools in the hands of people who don't even perceive their power tools. Right. You know, no fault of their own. It's just, you know, wow, I can do this. Yeah. So they aren't using typography to its advantage. Right. And it's not something, I mean, the, the best way, you know, the guys who invented uh, Ventura Publisher, mm-hmm. which was one of the first 
powerhouse high-end electronic publishing tools on the PC. Mm-hmm. It was three guys who basically sat down in one of their kitchens, and they had all the different magazines that they all read and a bunch of books. And they said, how can we write a piece of software that can do this? They picked out every typographic thing. Oh, yeah. this has two columns. Oh, this has three columns. Oh, this has three columns, but the one column is wider than the other two. Yeah. And they wrote software that did that. They knocked it out of the park. They yeah. They just did an incredible piece of software. And uh, they focused on how to do books or magazines, big documents. Right. At the time, PageMaker, see, it's just PageMaker, not Document Maker. Yeah. Or Magazine Maker or Bookmaker. Yeah. Um, it was really focused on doing a page at a time. Yeah. And so Ventura Publisher came in, and it was this idea of being able to lay out a whole book. Yeah. And so you could import a big manuscript and have a 100-page book in minutes. Oh, wow. And it was just amazing what you could do with it. Then you say, oh, well, I need drop caps at the um, beginning of each para- uh, each chapter. Yeah. And that drop cap is when you have the first letter mm-hmm. of a sentence or of a paragraph, and it is a capital that doesn't set on the line. It's like three or four times bigger and takes up four or five lines. Right, right. And so it's big, draws your eye to it, and then you start reading. Yeah. You know, so that was that was great. One of the things that was trickier, which even Word doesn't do now, InDesign does, is what's called hanging punctuation. Mm-hmm. So if you think of a column of text, if you start a line with a quote, that's sort of optically a little indent. Yeah. So why don't, in a, in a real book publisher 50 years ago, would have taken and allowed that quote to be outside of the margin. Okay. It would hang outside the margin. So right. If you take a ruler and draw a line up the left margin, that quote would be on the left of it. Mm-hmm. And that's hanging punctuation. I got you. And um, that's critical uh, yeah. to make it look good. InDesign, Adobe InDesign does that. Yeah. But Word doesn't. But you can go in and create a style in Word for that one paragraph that has a little bit of an outdent. I got you. You see, all of these little things, you can legitimately say, yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, okay, then, you know, why do you wash your car? Why do you wear nice clothes? All of these little things have yeah. a perception of it. And so there are trends in graphic design, just like there's trends in fashion. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to typeset something that looks like it was typeset in the 70s or yeah. 80s or 90s. You might, but understand, when you choose fonts like that, mm-hmm. you know, if you go out and use Times Roman, boy, somebody just did this on a computer. Yeah. And didn't really think about it. And especially the way it sets. Yeah. Same thing with Palatino. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and this, honestly, for me, Ariel as well. Uh, yeah. Or Ariel, I don't know how you say it. It's, its metrics do not look as nice as pure Helvetica does. Yeah. I mean, my understanding is that Ariel started because they couldn't get the, the licensing for Helvetica, right. so they just emulated it. Yeah. Yeah, so you have to understand about font copyright. If you can draw from scratch, Helvetica. Right. If you can perceive all of the subtleties. And there are a lot of subtleties in it. Sure. And you can't copyright that. Now, what's happened, because it's digital, they can copyright the digital version of that. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot harder to make fonts look the same. But that's why you have so many fonts that look the same. Right. Um, but then it comes into metrics and all of those little things. The yeah. subtleties of how it lays out and how, right. it, how it works. So if, if you were to take something 
and there's an, another font called Helvetica, New or New Helvetica. A U. N E A U E. Yeah, I believe so. Something like that. Um, look it up. But it, it's a beautiful font. Yeah. That fonts aren't free. I mean, people put hundred thousands of hours into creating fonts. Yeah. And there are tools where you can do that yourself. And you go and try and, you know, make 250 glyphs and then deal with all the metrics and all that. And yeah. People steal it from you. Yeah. So there are rules, um, you know, buying fonts and using them. And, you know, if they're in your printer, you can use them. If they're not, you know, and now, now there's web fonts. Yeah. Where we can now finally, it's really been emerging over the past 10 years, use typography with the real fonts on a web page. So yeah. if I have Garamond, I like Garamond, I want to set my stuff on the web page in Garamond, I can do that. What that requires is that you either get a font that is free, mm-hmm. you acquire a font and license it and download it. Makes your page bigger because yeah. the person doesn't already have the font, so you've got to tell them to go download this font yeah. so that the browser can display your text in that font. And that can cost money. Yeah. For one site, we were using a font and we had... You know, an agreement with, I think, I forget who it was, Adobe with their type kit. And depending on the number of page hits we got, they charged us more or less. Oh, wow. Okay. So it was, you know, if you have a small site, it's tiny amounts of money. But if you get a large site, it gets to be a a significant amount. Yeah. What's nice about web fonts is once they're downloaded to a computer, they don't have to download them again. Yeah. So they're they're able to have nice typography. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't know if you're aware of the documentary. It's actually on Netflix called Helvetica, and it's all about the the Helvetica font. Obviously, it's very fascinating to watch because it works through all these things you're talking about. I'd recommend it to anybody listening because it it talks through, for example, how Helvetica is used for all the underground and tube stations in uh, London and New York City, and it, what it communicates and how it communicates information in a way that's so subtle along the lines of what you're saying of it's it's not noticeable in a in your face right. but it informs how you receive and process the information and Helvetica is just so uh, common and used because of how beautiful it is in many ways yeah it really is I mean that's a great video um, and I would suggest people watch it uh, if they're not interested just to go, go to sleep and if they are interested <laughs> to really learn something about how I mean that's Probably one of the most sustaining, not sustaining, uh, it's, it's really kept alive. Well, it was basically one of the last kind of true foundry fonts yes. where it was designed in a foundry. It was designed in the old typography mindset, but then it's transitioned into the digital world because I think it was done in the 1930s, 1920s, right. and then obviously it, it maintained up to the current day. Yeah, and you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, if we're piquing your interest, you know, pick up a book or a magazine or, or look at something, and you'll notice that there are very few pure lines in it. Now, Habitica does have straight lines, but there's not a lot of circles. Mm-hmm. You know, like the O is not perfectly circle, right. uh, circular. And those are subtle things. And then the, the outside of the O is a different shape than the inside of the O. Mm-hmm. And those are all things that make you feel a different way. And also... As you start to consume that font in different places, it, it connects information in your brain yeah. that way. So, you know, all the signs, Helvetica is a lot more factual. Yeah. You might not use Helvetica in a 
whimsical child's book right. for the text or even for the headlines. It would be a, an awkward uh, juxtaposition there. Yeah. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those things where uh, with the design work that we've done for clients and as a part of content information, it's really important for businesses to think about it because it does, it's, it's a bit like what you're saying and how you set up your house. It's all the subtle things. If you were to think about how you set up a dining table, you know, where you, how you set the forks, yeah, forks, all that stuff. There's a certain sense in which, yeah, you can put plastic forks down and everybody's going to be able to still be able to eat. But in the same way with typography, the way you set things out and lay them down, um, it does communicate a certain value and excellence that uh, potentially, depending on the type of information you're communicating, wins people over in a way that they might not have been so easily won over. Yeah, and in large part, they wouldn't even realize it. Yeah. There is... There's a great poster, the Helvetica poster, and then there's posters that have been done that are just cringeworthy copies of it. You know, yeah. Do, if you take the Helvetica poster and do it in Aria, mm-hmm. if you have that sensitivity and are aware of it, you will just like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. Yeah. Or if you did it in Comic, Comic Sans or Zap Chancery with all caps, um, it would just be like, oh my gosh, this is yeah. this is there. It, it is an interesting study, and I'd, I'd love to know if anybody's ever studied this is how people that don't perceive fonts deal with it. Yeah. Um, because I will see, you know, I've gone to like a recital, a local recital, and there'll be Zach Chancery in all caps. Yeah. I don't understand what's different about me and why I look at that and says that looks terrible, and they didn't even perceive it. Yeah. That's something that's fascinated me. And, yeah. Uh, again, you know, you, you see the iPhone and you touch it and you want to touch it, yeah. And it's, wow, that's so cool. You know, and that, that design, mm-hmm. that sort of design ethic is, has been brought to the fore by Steve Jobs. Yeah. Solely. You know, there was companies like Frog Design, which did great design work, and IDEO, and all, all these different companies. But he sort of did the, the, the biggest lurch forward in uh, making people appreciate design. Yeah. You know, Ikea has pretty good design. Oh, I love um, IKEA. Yeah, so I mean, you know, and people can see that, and but it'd be very interesting for me to sort of do a man on the street interview. Sure. To see, you know, what what do you see? Do you see any difference between these two documents? Yeah, but I imagine that people, and it's one of those things where I imagine they probably do in a hmm, that seems interesting, or like right. there's something that's not quite because, for example, the font for Google, like the 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 the, the name of the, the new name of Google. Yeah. You would recognize that, or Facebook, right. even if you were to change it, or you know Reese's Pieces, right. or something like that. You know, where you change change the word in it, but you still use the same font. People right. recognize it. I do think it's something for um, entrepreneurs and business executives to keep in mind when they're designing products and putting information out there. Right. They I can't agree, they can't just throw. I mean, I've seen stuff that's just thrown together, and it's just like, man, like you totally like you lost me on the sales pitch. The moment I saw it, I didn't even have to read anything because right. I could tell that you did not care enough about your content to make it packaged well, right. and typography is a part of the packaging. It absolutely is. And, I mean, you think of PowerPoint, you know, and PowerPoints, whether you love them or hate them, they're a part of business. And I think that, you know, you have so many verbal and nonverbal cues, visual cues there, and, and you want to make that as many as possible. And you want to make all those subtleties very, very consistent. 
And I think that's probably the biggest lesson learned is that, you know, for me, you, I was a passive consumer of design. Yeah. It was just part of the, 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 um, the background. Mm-hmm. And something opened my eyes before the Mac, you know, that was like, I was keenly aware of it. Oh, this font. Oh, this font. Yeah. Well, this is what this font is. And, and you sort of, then you read about the people who made them and why they made them. And, and this is this whole risk, rich history in the Mac. And it just gets you really thinking a lot about it. But, you know, then you have these, these weird dichotomies that exist. So, for example, for me, the Google font of Google with all the O's, mm-hmm. when it was the old one, mm-hmm. I thought that was always very juvenile. It just didn't look like, I mean, you know, this behemoth of a company. It yeah. Just, like, was, what are you guys doing? Yeah, you know? it did look a little kind of like, uh, did you, yeah, did you get this from Toys R Us or something yeah, like exactly. that, you know? It just wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't look right. And I didn't mind the multiple O's, I got that, but. Now they've redesigned it. They redesigned it, you know, and they used um, a lot of geometric shapes, yeah, so that they could get it down to render very fast. And, and I applauded that, you know, emotionally it looks better, you know, but it honestly it looked it felt like, you know, it was a Yahoo page from ten years ago. Mm-hmm. That Google, the old Google font, yeah. And and I don't understand where that came from, you know, because they they did a lot of subtleties, you know, with the with the graphic every day, yeah, um, and. But that always stuck, and uh, you know, it was something that was very interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, I do think that is something to the power of typography that Google, which is arguably the most important company in the world, or one of them at least, sure. is redesigning its entire br- main brand logo by the simple typography that's in the name. As it should. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, as it should. Unfortunately, I think they needed to. I mean, you know, so you know, if you look at Microsoft. Their original logo was was sort of hideous. It was a the it was focused on an O with sort of a, a grill of a car in it. Uh huh. Um, and you know that was the pivot point. And they had Microsoft in this weird font. And then they came out with basically it's a Helvetica black mm-hmm. italic with a you know chevron out of the O. Yeah. In the soft in the middle there. And that's been there for years. Mm-hmm. Now. It'd be interesting if they ever change that. Yeah, it would be. Anyway, so typography, you know, what you have to remember is that there was a time that didn't have this option. You yeah. You a typewriter. Yeah. And you type whatever the font was. You didn't even think of the font. Yeah. Now you have tools that not only enable you to make it look better, but they also enable you to both make mistakes from a design point of view, but fix those mistakes. Yeah. A lot of it's done automatically, but, you know, a little bit of knowledge in typography goes a huge, hugely long way. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's definitely the payoff of our conversation is that typography is important to you regardless of what industry you're in. If you want your information to be accessible and to remove the clutter out of people's experience of it, getting a right sense of typography, getting a right sense of how the design of your content in the written form will be communicating to people is very, very important. Right. I think it's interesting if you to, if you spend time on a manuscript and you type it up and everything and then you give it to somebody else and they find all these typos. Yeah. And you, for the life of you, you didn't see them. And I think that's the key point here is that usually we're so close to our information that it implicitly clicks with us. Mm-hmm. We know what we intended to say. We know what we meant to say. 
And then what we really need to do as an executive, small business, medium size, whatever it is, is realize that there are all of these interface points that we deal with, the typography, the color, the, the paper that it's on, all those things feedback to allowing the person to either comprehend what you're saying or not. And, you know, you might think it's the most salient, well-written piece of text you've ever seen, but somebody else, it's hard to read. And if it's in a bad font, and if it doesn't have good spacing and metrics in it, all of those things are going to contribute negative to your message actually getting across. Right. Same thing within a PowerPoint document. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, for people who don't have a design bone in their body and may or may not acknowledge that, I'd, I'd like to encourage them to caution themselves and pause and say, well, what, how does this look? Mm -hmm. Does this look good? And you need to be careful who you ask that of, because you don't want to ask somebody like you that doesn't understand it or perceive it, yeah. or is colorblind, let's say. You know, maybe yeah, that's yeah. it. But somebody that is really uh, understands that and has a good sense for that. And usually we have some people in our lives that can do that. Yeah. And it'll be, it'll be some good feedback. And I can't imagine that that little bit of work to make it look consistent and right is not going to pay off 10, 20-fold. It's just it's going to make you look better. Mm -hmm. It's like having ketchup stain on your shirt or mustard stain on your shirt. If somebody told you, hey, that doesn't really look that professional, you'd probably go change it. Yeah. Why wouldn't you do that with your, you know, layout? And the same thing for design. You yeah. Know, you might think it looks just fine, but you really need to start asking people, does it look fine? Mm -hmm. I will tell you the, the difference between good design and bad design is almost infinite. Yeah. It, it, is, it is huge. And so I really would caution people to think that, they can take on the job of design. Mm -hmm. So all you designers out there, you know, make sure you, you know, I'm, I'm giving you the, the platform out there to, to change the world because you really can. I think it makes it look a lot better. Yeah. Excellent. Thanks, Paul. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit PaulParisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.